I want to give you a message today um, that the Lord just spoke in my heart recently in the middle of one of my devotions. And I just felt like in this season, where we're talking about steadying the ships, when we're talking about anchoring our souls in the middle of chaos and everything that is going around, when we're searching for certainty and clarity, that God wanted me to share this word with you. So no matter where you are, get ready. I hope you've got an open Bible. I hope your phone's on flight mode. I hope you're ready to not be distracted. I hope you understand that to receive from the Lord, you can't be splitting your focus. You've got to be all in if you want to get something from God. Former members of one of the country's biggest churches say it spent the money it tithed from its members on grandiose services and huge fees for overseas speakers. One user has spoken to many who describe feeling used by the church, leading to burnout and claims they were shut down and shut out when issues are raised. Like mentally and, and, and physically, you know, you're, you're pushing yourself to the point of exhaustion. I remember seeing someone leaving, they were an intern at the time, working at the Arise Conference, and they pushed themselves to the absolute breaking point, literally, where they would have to be, had to be carried out because it collapsed and needed to go to the hospital. Every single service, the tithe was inside. They even had ATMs in the foyer, and a special app that you could use. It was straight on to us each time, 10% of your earnings, as it says in the Bible. Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, allegations of abuse and mistreatment within one of the country's biggest megachurches. Journalist David Farrier, who broke this story, explains how he came across it, the snowballing testimonies he heard from current and past members as he published these investigations, and what all this tells us about how institutions wield and use power. Before we start about the specifics of the stories that you've been reporting on, I thought maybe we could talk about megachurches more broadly. How would you define what a megachurch is, and how did you get interested in this uh, topic in the first place? Yeah, it's a a really good question, and I I hope I can answer it. (laughs) I mean, a megachurch is, you know, they're big, for one thing. Uh, They're defined by having uh, a lot of bums on seats. Um, There's a high turnover rate because they're bringing a lot of people, and often a lot of people are also leaving because it doesn't suit them. Uh, but I think more broadly in New Zealand, a megachurch is uh, based around Pentecostal Christianity. So, you know, I'm not a scholar. I, I don't know all the ins and outs of Christianity, but it's a type of belief uh, where you're meant to have a really visceral, clear relationship with God that shows itself. So it's like, you know, speaking in tongues, um, there's emphasis on healing, there's emphasis on like this real relationship with God that people can see. It's not just something private. It's like very loud and uh, and public. And there's also like a really big uh, emphasis on prosperity doctrine, which in a nutshell is like, if you give to God, you give to the church, then God will give back to you either in heaven or back here on earth. So that obviously is pretty handy when you're trying to get people to tithe lots of money. A Louisiana televangelist is asking his followers for donations to buy a $54 million private jet. Jesse Duplantis runs a church outside New Orleans and also reaches out, that also reaches out worldwide. More than 750,000 people watch his sermons online. He is the second prominent televangelist this year to preach the virtues of a private plane. And, you know, 
you can look at it cynically and go, these churches just want to make a lot of money. Um, but I was, you know, I was sure there's a, a belief in there that this is really real. If you give a lot of money, then uh, God will give back to you. Uh, so that's sort of the mega church culture as I see it. I mean, in New Zealand, it's all kind of modeled after Hillsong Church, which has obviously been in the media a lot. You may know this church for its music or some of the A-list celebrities who attended over the years, including Justin Bieber, some of the Kardashians, and Selena Gomez. Well, tonight, the ultra-hip church says its global pastor, Brian Houston, is guilty of inappropriate behavior with women. And in a prime exclusive, a former member here in the U.S. says she experienced that behavior with another leader firsthand. You know, there's about, I'd say, four or five sort of mega churches in New Zealand. The top ones are uh, Arise, which I've been talking about. Then there's Life. And then there is uh, City Impact. And those are the, the big ones. And if you listen to any of the pastors, they all sound like the leader of Hillsong, Brian Houston. The way they talk, the messaging they give, sort of cherry-picking different things from the Bible. Uh, it's all very similar. So, yeah, that's how I would define uh, mega church in a New Zealand context. Okay. A smaller church that lots of people in New Zealand will be familiar with is Destiny. But Destiny, we wouldn't consider Destiny to be a, a mega church. It's, I'd say it, it's borderline. Uh, they have um, different branches because that's another thing that defines them. You know, Arise has 12 different churches around the country, all run essentially by one man, John Cameron. Uh, Destiny also has different branches. But Destiny isn't nearly as big the financial footprint wise or membership wise you know destiny doesn't have 10,000 members like arise does it's a lot smaller what's that's something that's really interesting in new zealand and something i've been thinking about a lot reporting on arise is that destiny gets so much coverage all the time you know brian tamaki walks into a supermarket and like him or, or loathe him you'll know who he is right Whereas these leaders from these much bigger churches can walk around in public outside of that church and no one has any idea who they are. So there's like a real um, difference there just in how kind of famous um, Brian's got, but it doesn't really marry up with the actual size and influence of his church compared with others. I feel like maybe this is an important thing to emphasize. You know, Pentecostalism, I don't mind saying this, it's not my thing. Um, you know, it's, it's not for me. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I assume it's not for you as well. But um, your stories here, the stories that you've done on Arise Church, they're not really about that, are they? About Pentecostalism, about religion, about whether or not Pentecostalism is bad or, 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 or religion is bad or whatever. They're not about the beliefs here. This is not dogging on people's beliefs, but it's about the structure and I, I guess the, the, mm, the business absolutely. model almost. Yeah, I mean, they're essentially, they are operating like a business, um, except they don't have the same uh, oversight uh, and governance that a secular business would have. They don't have robust accountability. That just doesn't exist within these places. Um, it's all coming from generally one leader. Everything has to go through him. And that's where things get incredibly dicey. Well, let's talk a little bit about Arise, um, which is what a lot of your contemporary reporting has, has focused on. What are the vital stats of these guys? You know, where and when were they founded? What's their deal, pretty much? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good question. I mean, they've been around for about 20 years. I mean, they started small and then, um, in the as they would describe it, they started planting churches and you know, in, in their history, that's taking over other churches. So they will um, take over 
uh, campus and and will rebrand an existing church as Arise. So they've grown a lot in the last 20 years. Um, John Cameron, the leader of Arise, um, you know, he's got 10,000 followers now. Um, again, there's a lot of Lee coming and going. You know, it's not like it, it's been 10,000 members for a while now. And that's because uh, while it grows, a lot of people are still leaving. Like the churn rate's really high. And I think that's probably why I'm hearing from so many sort of disenfranchised people because so many people have been spat out the other side. Uh, but, you know, when John was starting this, his sort of spiritual father was a guy called Brent Douglas who was still preaching. Um, uh, John Cameron used to run um, the youth ministry um, at Brent Douglas's church, which is called Encounter. I think it is still called Encounter. But, you know, I checked out some of Brent's sermons the other day and, you know, he's he's very fire and brimstone casting demons out kind of a lot of stuff you'd expect from kind of right-wing America, and it's just kind of odd to see it in a New Zealand church. You mentioned that it was it was founded 20 years ago, and I don't really know how quickly new churches normally grow, but to go from being founded to having 10,000 members in 12 locations around the country and um, some really, really healthy financial statements, it seems pretty amazing, really. Yeah, it is. And I mean, there's a few people that are very good at it. I mean, Life Church and the Dijongs are very good at that as well. They're the other equally big church, slightly smaller, but not by much uh, in New Zealand. They've done it really well. Um, uh, Arise has done it well, obviously. C3's done it really well. There's churches that have done this. Um, but, you know, John Cameron is incredibly driven. And, you know, the, the people I was speaking to, talk about his style of leadership and it is incredibly driven and i think that's probably what's caused a lot of these issues because he's driven to the point i think of ignoring a lot of the problems that have come up under his watch because mm. uh, yeah you don't suddenly make a, a you know a 12 campus church uh in that amount of time without being incredibly uh motivated let's talk about some of the correspondence that you've had with some former members of of Arise, and maybe we'll start at the beginning. So this is back in, I think, October last year. You get an email from a guy called Daniel. Is that where it all kind of begins? Yeah, I mean, it started sort of even six months before that. I was hearing from people from Arise saying, because I've been writing a bit about Hillsong um, and a few people saying, like, you need to look into this place. But there are only two or three emails, and I kept in touch with them but couldn't figure out a way to really make a story of it. Yeah, it wasn't until Dan... Um, which isn't his real name, got in touch saying, um, look, I was involved in this place for a long time and and I'm damaged from this and you need to look harder. What was he saying was going on at the church? Essentially, you know, where this, this started was uh, abuse uh, and uh, overuse of interns. So, you know, you have all these young university students coming along to church and they're encouraged to serve the church, to serve God. And part of that is either volunteering or you can become an intern. And being an intern is something you pay for the service of doing. You get a small qualification at the end. But once you become an intern, the church just pushes you as a young person beyond, many of them beyond their means. And, you know, I spoke to a number of people, uh, Dan included, who 
just reached a point of complete burnout. I talked to people who uh, talked to becoming suicidal, of just having incredibly dark thoughts, of having breakdowns. You know, these are people that are trying to get through university study whilst having to work sometimes very close to having a full-time job at the church, unpaid, uh, having to work other jobs to keep up with their rent and student fees and all that kind of thing. So the story started with just talking. And once I talked to Dan, I started getting an outpouring of other interns writing to me, former interns, just about how wrecked that church made them. And it's, you know, it works for you while it works and you can feel really positive about helping the community or whatever you perceive your work to be doing. But then you, a number of people just got just lit, ruined by it just physically and mentally and left and was sort of isolated like didn't thought it was just maybe on them or maybe they weren't strong enough and since i've been reporting this i think a lot of people have just gone oh shit that happened to me hmm. this isn't normal this is actually really bad and uh you know we need to discuss this yeah well i mean dan's dan's internship elaborate a little bit on that because like you know internships happen in, in in religions but the sort of things that he was doing yeah i mean so you'd pay two and a half thousand dollars to volunteer for four days a week essentially that's what you'd be doing but you know i spoke to a number of people who part of that internship was baby sitting john cameron's children or doing the gardens uh, a really sort of infamous one from ex-interns was the picking up and dropping off John from the airport. You're sort of a personal chauffeur. Uh, and you could be called on at any time to do these things. And that was all just seen as as giving to the church, giving to God and becoming a better person. And so it's a pretty, in my mind, it's incredibly manipulative of these young people who have found a new family in this church and are being told that, you know, to, to do the right thing, you need to be doing this stuff. Uh, and then it was, you know, Arise is like a, you know, their productions and their their worship band. It's like going to a concert. There's like LCD screens behind them, and it's like it's a big thing to set up. So another big part of the internship was what they call game day. You know, Sunday where you're in there at four a.m. Uh, and you're working through till sometimes midnight that night, just getting things ready, making sure the service is run, and then packing everything down at night. And, you know, I started also speaking to people that started talking of John's temper and the way he would treat certain people, and a number of people wrote to me about how he would physically grab them by the collar if he wasn't happy with them. One intern told me that he messed up a music cue on stage, and John was unhappy that that hadn't allowed God to move in the room. Uh, therefore, you know, some souls may not have been saved and by that uh, note would have ended up in hell. And so he was angry. It's a righteous anger. He grabbed him by the collar and yelled. Those are the sort of stories uh, that I've been hearing about this place. So, yeah. When it comes to the allegations against the church, like I, I find this very interesting because I guess um, what you what you detailed before in terms of the taking advantage of interns and the emotional abuse of people uh, involved in the church sounds it sounds terrible, but I am curious: do the allegations from members go further than that? Because what you were describing before, as I say, it sounds bad. It doesn't necessarily sound cut and dried illegal, though. Do the allegations stretch into that kind of of territory? That's something I can't talk on. I can only talk on what I've reported. Uh, and, you know, what we haven't talked about, uh, the volume uh, of uh, all young women who 
uh, approached their uh, leaders at the church, their life group leaders, with stories of uh, sexual assault and rape, sometimes from other members of the church, and those stories essentially being swept under the carpet. Uh, I can't talk to the criminality of that because uh, I don't know the specifics of each of those stories. But the fact that the reaction of the church was to uh, minimize those complaints and at times lecture those people about their consensual sexual relationships instead of uh, focusing on the fact they, ne- they needed to deal with sexual assault, you know, I think that's incredibly problematic. And I, I look at this church's reaction and I look at the fact that John Cameron hasn't resigned. He has stepped aside, but, you know, in Arise's very own words, he's still very much a part of the Arise family. I just find it deeply unusual. And I have this little doubt in my mind that John plans to ride this out, let things die down, uh, and to pick things up as normal at some point, whatever normal is in his brain. I'm trying to think here like a very sceptical person listening to this. No, dive in. Yeah. Advocate me. And um, well, I just I wanted to ask the question. I guess this is this is more about investigative journalism and, and the investigative process. For, for people who aren't familiar with that, you know, they might look at this and think, well, you know, what was your process of veri- verification here? How did you how did you ensure that the people who were getting in touch did indeed experience the things that they were uh, claiming to have experienced? Because these are pretty serious allegations. Some of these. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's all, is a few different things, and it has to do a lot with volume. You know, you want to cross-check details with other people. You know, one person may get in touch with you, but you will end up talking with other people in their life or other people around that incident. Uh, there's also just the issue of the number and the volume of stories. You know, I didn't get one person talking to me about taking their story of sexual assault uh, to a church and things being uh, swept under the carpet. There were multiple stories of this arriving from multiple sources. Like you build up patterns, and you know, within that 550 pages of emails that I have, um, I have that catalogued and sorted in a certain way, and I can start checking details and names and people. And you know, I took two weeks off just to make sure I got this right because, you know, and as with Tickled or Dark Tourist or any project I've done, I want to keep things watertight. I'm not publishing things willy-nilly. I want things to be accurate because it's my reputation on the line as well as some incredibly vulnerable people that I'm working with. I want to do them justice and I don't want to put any of them in a story that isn't accurate. <laughs> That's another incredibly important part of that. So, you know, my process includes... A lot of emails, a lot of questions, but then jumping on calls or jumping on Zooms, talking, asking questions about some incredibly sensitive things that, to be honest, I I don't think I am built to deal with some of these things. It's a certain, it's a type of, you know, dealing with sexual assault and talking about rape and that kind of thing is not something I've done specifically before. And I, it's, I've done okay and, and people I've spoken to seem to be happy and I hope that remains uh, but yeah you, it's just it's volume it's checking things it's it's looking at patterns and there's a lot of stories that didn't make it into the cut because whilst I believe them I couldn't get them to a point where I could justify publishing certain things yet because mm. you need to make sure that things are watertight 
You talked a little bit about Arise's response to all of this, setting up the, the cultural review and so on and so forth. John Cameron stepped aside, didn't he? So that's uh, at least a nominal sign that, that they're taking this seriously. It means nothing. In my, it's a need, I just said that so quickly, but it does mean nothing. What is stepping aside? We all assume that meant resigning. They clarified he has not resigned. He's still very much a part of the Arise family. Um, he chose who replaced him and his brother on the board. You know, according to the deed of the church, he got to final approval of who replaced him. This isn't someone who is fading away. It's a carefully, in my mind, in my opinion, it's a tightrope that he's walking. And as far as stepping aside, what what does that even mean? Besides some 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 words, you know. To be honest, nothing may happen. Um, the you know there's a, this HR review is taking place that Arise is doing, and then there's this independent review. Uh, you know the independent reviewers can could find the most horrific findings uh present them to john cameron and arise and they could say oh look this is we've done some awful things in the past we're not going to do that again let's carry on and the news cycle carries on and nothing changes you know hillsong across the ditch in australia we've known for a very long time that brian houston covered up his father's sexual assault of children his sexual abuse of children and yet he was he's been fine for a very long time it took a number of things happening at the same time including people going on camera and talking about certain things for him to finally step down but these churches weather these storms and they're incredibly smart at doing it and they're incredibly good at doing it because they have a congregation that adores and has heard nothing but good things about the leadership it strikes me and we kind of talked about this at the beginning, it's not necessarily just about churches. It's not an indictment on churches or or religion. It's about institutions, really, and power and people wielding power over other people and standards of behaviour. It's a much bigger thing. And, you know, this has nothing to do with Christianity as a religion. It it seems like it does, but it doesn't. It's, It's how that's used and how it's packaged and sold back to people. And, you know, that's what so many of the people that have left Arise uh, uh, talking to me about that it's like we didn't even sort of understand what had happened to us in there like we thought this was about Christianity but it was about something entirely different so now, as I said right at the beginning there needs to be accountability there need to be things in place so if you are pastoring 10,000 people that comes with responsibility if you're pastoring like 10,000 young people I would argue it comes with more responsibility you're not looking after a congregation of people in their 50s who have some life experience and their head completely on their shoulders. You're dealing with a younger population who are going through just objectively a lot. Like even the whole system is, you know, when you, when you look at their obsession with um, abstinence and not masturbating, which is something that they're into, it's a, it's a thing. You're talking to people who are like, to put it frankly, like they're horny. They're like, they're teenagers. <laughs> like you're putting them in the system that is, that is, destining them to fail and to be told they're a failure and that system just can't keep in my mind just can't keep operating like there's too much there's too much bad amongst the whatever good it is they do whether it's for the congregation or in the community nobody from arise has agreed to media interviews since this story broke however the church did release a statement to rnz last week The statement reads, The Arise Board continues to acknowledge the hurt and the pain that has been expressed. We reaffirm our earlier statements made in regard to changes to the board and the independent review that is currently underway. We await its findings. 
Due to sensitivity and privacy reasons, we are unable to comment on specific allegations or individual employment circumstances. We want to strongly encourage anyone who has a complaint or negative experience to engage with the independent reviewer. It's important we hear and understand these stories in order to help bring relief and healing to those who are in pain and put into place any corrective action that may be needed. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Rangi Poak and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to David Farrier. Matewa. Thank you.